0: Hello, and welcome to the Irwin Mitchell Podcast. We're here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Ros Beaver. I am a partner and Director of Legal Services for Family at Irwin Mitchell. And I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Joe Grandfield from Mills and Reeve. Joe actually heads up the Children and Family team. At Mills and Reeve in their London office and she's a superstar and an expert in mediation. She joined me today because she not only specializes in mediation and ADR, she also has loads of experience in complex financial and children issues and trying to resolve those issues. We're going to talk today about mediation in light of the campaign that we as a firm and with our colleagues in the family law community have been running to try and promote alternative dispute resolution mechanisms and specifically to target how we might encourage each other, our clients and other colleagues to use these methods of resolving disputes when there might be a chink of light in doing so other than having to go down the court route we're also going to talk today about prenuptial agreements and and touch on postnuptial agreements and i'm really delighted that joe who has bags of experience in these areas is willing to talk to us today about these issues so joe We've recently commissioned a survey of, of, of 1,000 divorcees who found, and we discovered that 71% didn't have a prenup in place. And of those that did, 92% said it was upheld in, in court. So we're going to touch on that. And, but first of all, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your experience and mediation in particular because I know you do an awful lot of that. So in your opinion, is mediation more cost effective? The short
1: answer to that, Roz, is yes, absolutely. It is more cost effective when you look at the the financial cost of litigation, which is the alternative, when you look at the emotional cost of having um, a hard-fought battle through solicitors in litigation, where the control and the Agenda is set by somebody that isn't you, and it isn't your former partner, and it's not even your lawyers. It's a judge and a court process. So it's cost effective for lots of different reasons. But it's not just about the financial cost. And it's not just about the emotional cost. It's about um, what's a better way of dealing with things. And What mediation does do is gives the control over a process and the decision making and the agenda setting to the people whose lives it's directly impacting upon. So, yes, it is more effective. Yes, it is more cost effective, but not just financially, also emotionally. And for all of those reasons or both of those reasons, I think it is definitely a better way of resolving things.
0: And have you experienced resistance from other lawyers perhaps, or indeed your own client when you've suggested mediation as a forum to resolve matters? Um, I think less resistance. I think it's absolutely
1: true to say that in the last few years, the amount of resistance has, has, has fallen by the wayside a little bit, um, and increasingly so. Um, I've been doing this job for, horrifies me sometimes, think about it, but over 20 years now, And if you were mentioning mediation to a client 20 years ago, there would be a sort of a what's that, how does that work and an element of suspicion because it's just completely unknown. Now it's a word that trips off most lawyers tongues and it's something that most clients are familiar with. They may not have been through it before because frankly, people don't go through divorce, for example, or get married every single day, but they will know people that have used that process. And so it is an easier discussion to have, certainly with clients. Is there resistance from the uh, opposing solicitor? There can be still. And that's unfortunate and it's frustrating. But it's fair to say that there is still some resistance there for some in some quarters, yes.
0: So for me, sometimes I am a little bit sceptical about mediation. And that's usually in circumstances where I know we're going to have perhaps an incredible amount of resistance or from somebody to produce financial disclosure, for example, or where I think there's very limited prospects of us reaching an agreement. Perhaps my client's intimidated if I'm acting for the weaker party in those sorts of circumstances. Do you think that's one of the reasons why lawyers might be resistant? And is there anything we can use that might overcome that? I think it's fair to say and right to say that mediation
1: is not for every, every couple. It's not right for everybody in every circumstance. Absolutely, that's the case. But I think sometimes the reasons that are given for not engaging in or at least exploring mediation are reasons that can easily be overcome. So if there's a concern that one party might be intimidated, you can have lawyer-assisted mediation. So that would be where both a husband and a wife and their legal advisors attend mediation together so that the discussions are still facilitated in mediation by a mediator. But each party has the benefit of the support and the legal advice there on the ground with them through each session. So that can be really helpful. I think if you have a an experienced and robust mediator than somebody who is resistant to giving financial disclosure and so on. Part of that discussion will be, well, what information do we need? And how is that going to be provided? Because at the end of the day, mediation is entirely voluntary. No one gets forced into it. Nobody can be forced to stay in it. So there's a choice. For example, let's be I suppose, let's be a little bit sexist about this. But if there was a Mm. husband who had all of the information about the financial circumstances and was going to be unwilling to provide the disclosure, well, the short point is, well, you can either provide it within mediation, we can try and resolve things that way, or you don't, in which case, there will be court proceedings issued, and you'll have to provide it within that forum. So you're going to have to provide the information, the choice is yours as to
0: how you do it and where you do it. So for those who might be resistant, we might perhaps, compare lawyer-assisted mediation to the good old-fashioned roundtable meeting, which people have been doing for years. Is there any difference from, between a roundtable meeting and lawyer-assisted mediation? The difference is
1: in that In the mediation process, it's client led, the clients drive it, and the lawyers are there to give legal input and advice as part of the process. But they're not running the process, they're not running the show, if you like. Whereas in a round table meeting, it's the lawyers that are doing the negotiating, they're doing the the, the vast majority of the talking, and sometimes, unfortunately, not a huge amount of listening. So it's that really is the difference. But both, I mean, both forums work very well, and I suppose, in in lots of ways, a roundtable meeting with lawyers is not dissimilar to as possibly, you know, certainly outside of the court process, something that we say is part of ADR, really.
0: So for those listeners who might never have been involved in a mediation or indeed a roundtable meeting, would you expect ordinarily for everyone to be in the same room? It depends, doesn't it? I mean, I think you and I have done a roundtable
1: meeting before whereby we went into the room together and had those discussions and then went back into separate rooms and relayed what had been talked about and were taking instructions in separate rooms and there was there were some reasons for that i think there was a perceived inequality in negotiation and in negotiation or in bargaining power i suppose and it was helpful to both the clients particularly when they were feeling quite emotional about things to not be in the same room um, and having to see each other across the table really Both actually in mediation and in roundtable meetings, there's flexibility there. So sometimes it's appropriate for everybody, lawyers and the parties, to all be sat in the same room having those discussions, listening to what each lawyer is saying and the other person's lawyer is saying and what each other are saying. But equally, there can be times when it's better to have everybody in different rooms than just the lawyers doing the talking.
0: It's about what's going to work best for each couple in each situation, really. And certainly for my part, the reservations I might have had in relation to mediation might be, for example, that there are costs incurred in the attendance at mediation with a client then subsequently taking advice and the lawyers becoming involved. So it's almost a separation of that whole process. So I think it's a really effective way where you can have lawyers involved too. And I I think it'd be a really Interesting point for our listeners, and the important thing as well, I think, with that, and I agree with you, Roz, is that it gets
1: it gets the buy in of the lawyers as well, because everybody's there trying to resolve things and agree things and sort things out. So sometimes it can be quite difficult if a couple have been in mediation, they've reached some decisions and reached an agreement as to what it is that they want to achieve by way of a settlement. They then go back to their lawyers, and their lawyers sit down with the client and sometimes for the first time say, well, I'm not really sure that that's going to work, or are you sure about this? Or uh, "Or one of our concerns or, uh, is how are you going to, I don't know, meet your income needs when you've retired, for example. And it's sort of a bit, a bit late then. What you need to have, whether the lawyers are in the law-assisted mediation, or you have lawyers in the background giving advice outside of the mediation sort of meetings themselves, is sort of the reality testing and that ongoing conversation to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody's on the right track. I think it's, it's where it can be difficult is to involve lawyers right at the end.
0: And we all know that what one person takes away from a sentence can be completely different, and particularly when they've not been there on the ground at the point at which that sentence was said. Moving on because we um, wanted to try and cover prenups and maybe touch on postnup prenuptial agreements. How many of those are you doing at the moment? You're doing lots, and have you used any form of dispute resolution or mechanisms that might be loosely referred to as dispute resolution for a a, a prenuptial agreement? Yes, I'm doing lots of, of prenuptial agreements these
1: days, and that's been the case for the last few years now, and there's an there ever-increasing number. And the best form for doing that is, I think, in a a dispute resolution, alternative dispute resolution setting, because this is a situation where a couple are not getting divorced. This isn't litigation. There shouldn't be animosity there. This is a happy occasion. Two people are getting married and are planning on spending the rest of their lives together. So, What they also want to do is make sure that if their hopes and aspirations aren't fulfilled, that the fallout from that is kept to the minimum, absolute minimum necessary, really, to have some certainty about what might happen or what will happen if the marriage doesn't work out. And the conversations about what that might look like are best held by two people in a room together, talking and communicating and for the reasons that we just that we just touched on in terms of well two people can take one sentence and and take different meanings from that or relay it in a different way and there can be whispers or there can be instructions to a solicitor who then relays that to another solicitor who then relays that to their client who then comes back with their instructions to that solicitor that relays it I mean things can get lost in translation and what's important what's really important can get lost so different ways of having those conversations such as mediation or the roundtable meetings or um, collaborative law, which is a a different process as well, are absolutely the best way of dealing with those things. I think they're the sorts of conversations that need to happen with the couple fully involved, fully engaged, and hearing what each other has to say.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, probably like you, I've even had instances where the wedding has been called off as a consequence of a a prenuptial agreement not having been signed in advance of, of the ceremony and i think it's fascinating that we can use adr as a term perhaps and and all of those mechanisms that fall within that description and apply it in so many areas and and really in term for me i don't know whether you agree in terms of speed with which you can resolve matters it's just exponentially quicker than going through posts and email and we're all so burdened at the moment with the number of emails, having a meeting, particularly if you can do one remotely. Obviously we all like face to face, but we can do them remotely. It's it's got to be the way forward. And for me, I think certainly for prenuptial agreements, that is a a brilliant example of where we could use them.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think as 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 have you, there have been cases that I have had where prenuptial agreements have never been signed and a wedding was called off. But that's only ever happened when we've used a traditional sort of solicitor negotiating approach. When we've done it in mediation or through roundtable meetings or through collaborative law, they have always resulted, in my experience, in a premarital agreement being signed, a marriage happening, and you getting the photographs three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks later, six months later of two very happy people on their wedding day. And if you're really lucky, a year down the line after that, you'll get pictures of baby number one and then baby number two and then the dog and the cat and all the rest of it. And that's a really great way of a way of practicing family law. And it's the bit that gives me the the rosy glow at night when I go home from the office. So, and in terms of the speed, you're absolutely right. It's so much quicker. I mean, I've had a, a negotiated pre marriage agreement before where myself and the solicitor for the husband to be. We both met our respective clients at the same time in the same offices and then we all sat around the table for a couple of hours and the couple talked about what their concerns were, what their aspirations were, the reasons why they wanted to engage in these discussions and to enter into a premarital agreement and we all heard that and then we were able to talk about okay well how can that be reflected in an agreement which meets everybody's requirements, doesn't cause upset and provides the protection that everybody was looking for because there is always a compromise to be had there is always an agreement to be reached when you're listening to what everybody has to say and even if you're the the spouse to be who is the less financially well-off for example so it feels like there's a big concession being made by entering into an agreement there's always some something that that can be given always
0: absolutely and that is the point and in terms of the post nuptial agreement. Are you coming across those a lot? Perhaps you could explain to our listeners what they are. A post-nuptial agreement is just like a premarital agreement. It's just that
1: it's entered into after you're married, when a couple are still married. And they can be entered into for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's just as a sort of belt and braces. So it will just reflect what the premarital agreement says. Is that
0: because there might be a suggestion, for example, If it was getting tight towards the date of the ceremony, there might be some notion that there's a little bit of duress before the the ring is on the finger, as it were. Yeah, that's a common reason. Another
1: reason for entering into a post-nuptial agreement might be because there wasn't a premarital agreement and the circumstances are changing. So for example, there's a significant inheritance that's coming in or a gift from a, from a, a another family member, and there's a concern of that family member that the inheritance or the gift would be safeguarded and kept within the sort of the the bloodline, if you like, of a particular family, um, if it was to be given. I've had a couple of post-marital agreements where the reason for entering into it is because, because there's been um, a difficulty within the marriage. So, yeah, you too. know, somebody, someone's had an affair or um, there's been, the, the, the relationship has really started to break down and they're trying to, the couple are trying to work through that. But feel that having a post nuptial agreement in place, which just sets out what would happen were the worst to happen, gives them both some comfort to be able to then leave those concerns to one side and focus on saving the marriage. And those in particular are the sorts of cases where you need to be mediating those discussions. You need to be having some form of ADR. What you don't want to be doing is involving solicitors and having everything done via correspondence in that sort of third-hand, third-party way, because that in my view, can very often be a recipe for disaster.
0: I agree. And I also think having the legal advice, though, is important in those scenarios, particularly when somebody is entering into a post-nuptial agreement in that situation where they perhaps are the person that might have stepped out of line and they are feeling uh, quite a bit of residual guilt mm-hmm. and therefore might enter into an agreement which they later regret
1: yeah you're absolutely right there's such delicate things to talk about and to negotiate your way around and navigate your way around but you know you're going to have some difficult conversations anyway in for that marriage so better have those difficult conversations with the benefit of a lawyer there who can explain what their rights are what might happen if the marriage were to break down so to have that information because I think a lot of these things people get very anxious because they it's because they're scared of the unknown knowledge really is power and so if you understand exactly what might happen then that enables you to then move forward on a surer footing with a bit more confidence knowing okay well I now know as much as it is that I can know and I can make decisions the benefit of that information I think otherwise people are it's very unsettling and it's and it and it can be and that can really unha- be really unhelpful and it can be destabilizing for a couple.
0: And it provides certainty yeah and, and not having to go through what can be a very stressful and time-consuming and expensive exercise subsequently which could of course end up with court proceedings. Um, I could talk to you all day Joe um but unfortunately we've only got a short period of time it's been absolutely brilliant to chat through with you in such a, a an incredibly clear way the benefits of mediation and particularly and alternative dispute resolution mechanisms and to touch on prenuptial agreements and postnuptial agreements thanks very much it's been a pleasure thank you for having me